to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, emergency management, resilience, COVID, anything that will help you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. One quick announcement. I will be speaking at the Continuity Insights Conference in Louisville, Kentucky, April 25th to 27th. Fingers crossed it can be an in-person event. And if it is, I hope to see a lot of you there, and please come up, and maybe I can talk you into coming onto the show. A lot of you will know that I was speaking, presenting at the BCI World uh, Virtual 2021 event this year. And as always, I always uh, like to say that I hope I can get one or two or a couple of the speakers from that conference to come on the show. Well, I was able to do that uh, with today's speaker. In fact, it's his second return or second appearance, I should say, uh, on the show. So I'd like to welcome back, talking on the subject, setting up everything, is everything, Jacopo Caparelli. Jacopo, welcome back. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Yeah, it's good to see you again. I'm glad. Yes. Uh, I'm glad uh, the, the first experience wasn't too traumatic for you, and that you know you're, you're back. <laughs> Only slightly traumatic. I got <laughs> Only slightly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case anyone didn't uh, hear the first time uh, we we talked, can you take a minute or two and tell me a little bit about yourself, what you do, and uh, how you got into what you do? Sure. Um, so I am uh, active in uh, Milan with our business continuity and crisis management and a broader organizational resilience focused uh, consultancy firm called Pantare. Uh, we, we are active primarily on the Italian market for obvious reasons. We're based in Milan. Uh, we have an international focus. We have uh, clients all over the world. So um, we, we, we work in English, we work in Italian, we work on translating our materials in, uh, in many different languages. So we, are, uh, we, we tend to be actively involved in the business continuity institute community, hence my participation in the, in the BCI world. And uh, regarding myself, uh, I am a young professional, just uh, not quite just starting out my career, but uh, let's say in the initial phases of it. Um, I've been doing this for four years now and uh, I'm a consulting manager. So I have the technical leadership of all our uh, consultancy projects across all our the disciplines that we offer. So whether it's crisis management, risk management, uh, business continuity, I take the lead in uh, delivering those projects for clients. And uh, yeah, that's about it. I've worked in uh, many industries. Uh, so we've delivered uh, services for large retailers, uh, oil and gas companies, defense contractors, primarily as many of us will have done financial institutions and be the most regulated. And uh, yeah, that's about it. 
Great. Well, let's jump in right into your presentation from BCI World. Um, you talk about BCMS and all the different pieces that make that up. For people that, you know, because we do have people around the globe uh, in different stages of their careers, what is BCMS? What does it stand for? And what are all the uh, components that make it up? Okay. So uh, this actually ties into really well with my presentation at the BCI World because we were part of self as well as other speakers. We're part of the Business Continuity Institute's uh, Back to Basics uh, programming and offering, which was really intended so for newcomers or people who maybe use are used to a different methodology than the Business Continuity Institute's uh, is meant to exactly do what it says on the tin. So explain all the fundamental concepts of our discipline as the Business Continuity Institute understands them. So uh, what's the BCMS? So BCMS, B-C-M-S, stands for uh, Business Continuity Management System. What it means is it's, it's, uh, it's the system of practices, procedures, and uh, uh, any other organizational element you can think of that make up how an organization manages their business continuity. So you will have a, a governance of this system, you'll have operational activities that pertain to this system, and you'll have a review process of the performance of this system. So if you've ever worked uh, or you are working in a large organization, you'll be very familiar with this kind of uh, uh, basic cycle, which is people set something up, they implement it, they see how it goes, then they review it it's be changed if it's working continue this uh, is this a value-added proposition so in a nutshell that's what the business continuity management system is specifically related to the management of business continuity now the bci understands it in a very concrete way even though the six phases i will describe just now are you will see they uh they really summarize uh, what i just said so you you set things up you implement them, you check them, and you re and, and then you you act on those uh, on those changes. So we start with the policy and program management phase, which really is the setting up part of uh, the system that I, that I just mentioned, which is you you state your intent, you tell your staff why you're doing something, and then you set out uh, uh, roles, responsibilities, and uh, uh, resources to carry out what your intentions are. Uh, then it passes to the embedding phase. The embedding phase is sort of a, a constant of the whole life cycle, which means that you have to really convince your people and your colleagues why about why you're doing this, about your intent. And you also have to get them to understand that this will, will need to be part of how they view their daily work. So not necessarily that every day they will be working on business continuity, but that they will be involved and expected to uh, play, however small, a part in maintaining the system. The analysis phase is... Yes. In, in what kind of activities? Yes. It, it, it's one thing to just tell people, um, you know, you need to embed this in your work, and then we walk away and go do our work, while they're left going, well, what the heck does that mean? Well, can yeah, you, you uh, dig a little deeper, you know, what? Yeah, sure, sure. So that's an exact, that's, that's an excellent example of how not to do embedding with the example you just gave. <laughs> well, because 
you are right in that if I just schedule two hours in the middle of a busy work week, one hour, two hours, how many we can find? Okay, this is business continuity, blah, blah, blah. This is what we expect you to do. And then you don't hear from me for six months. And then six months later, I give you, okay, this is the BIA, do it. Just give an example. That's a completely ineffective uh, way to embed your management system. So wh when I said that it needs to be constant, it's one of the few phases that really have need to, uh, let's say, go into each every step of the way. You need it's basically your onboarding activities, your convincing activities, your uh, let's say political efforts, right? So you before each activity, you might want to schedule a workshop, say, hey, listen, guys, this is what we're doing. Remember when we talked about business continuity? Well, now we're doing this part of it. And before your analysis, you'll say, okay, guys, remember me, business continuity, this is what we're doing now. Phase four, phase five, phase six. It needs to be regular as, as much as you can make it. Of course, you don't want to bother people every day. But it needs to be regular so that the more you do it, the more people say, oh, yeah, business continuity. I remember when you uh, when you mentioned that. I remember what we did back in March, back in June, back in September. Oh, now it's December, so that we have to do X, Y, and Z again. So it starts to make sense to them. It cannot just be uh, one time and you're done, of course. So, so that's that's a good thing to to emphasize. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so you this has to be regular. As I said, you need to keep bringing people on board and you need to reinforce that onboarding. And then you move to, let's say, the more operational phases. So we set it up with policy and program management. We're selling it, if you will, during the embedding phase, which will keep being regular. And then we have to actually do something. So the first things we the first thing we do is we analyze our organization. We need to understand what our critical processes are. What do we need to recover in case of an incident? What our priorities are, because not everything needs to be recovered at the same time. Mm -hmm. What your priorities are and what you need to continue your process. So if a person is in trouble, if a process is in trouble, what resources do you need to provide them, give them so that they can work, that, so that they can do their job? This is what we do in the analysis phase. It's a very focused and very concrete set of activities. Yeah, information gathering. That's the name of the game in the analysis phase. Once you have that information, you move on to the design phase. And the design phase is where you look at your information and you say, okay, I have these vulnerabilities. I need these resources to put them. I need to put them, make them available to the people who work in those processes. How do I put the two together? How do I reach my recovery object objectives? How do I give people the resources they need? How do I, what's my strategy? That's the name of the game, strategy and solutions. That's design phases where you come up with these things. Once you've done that, it's plan writing time. So you need to uh, understand exactly how your organization needs to respond at each level. So your top management, your middle management, and your operations. Is that uh, the management part or is this business continuity part? Well, see, that's that's the thing that is not really mentioned that often in the industry, but crisis management is basically 
high level business continuity because there you're concerned with the strategic at the strategic level so you have all your the top brass with the strategic continuity of your organization a crisis as we know imperils it, you don't get the top brass out of bed at 2 a.m for just about anything it's a serious threat which could potentially damage or even destroy the organization or your community if we're talking about outside the business con uh, business environment in a very significant way and that's basically business continuity at, at the, the highest level because if business continuity is for each of your services or products being able to keep providing them individually a crisis is basically well we want to stay in business so we still want to do what we do and we need to structure ourselves to make sure that that happens so Crisis management is really high-level business continuity. If you want to, you can conceptualize it like that very easily. And the implementation is a part of that. So you write out your crisis management plans, your business continuity plans, your disaster recovery plans. And then once you've done that, you have to test not just your plans, but the validity of everything you've done so far. So everything you've done needs to be put under a microscope and say, listen, we did this, X, Y, Z. Is X working out as we intended? Y, Z, are we over-investing, under-investing? Are our processes uh, really, truly safeguarded? What about our recovery objectives? Am I meeting them? Am I capable of meeting them? So that's what you do at the end of a cycle, and then it starts all over again because it has to be a continuous improvement. Once you have your, the results of your review, say, okay, let me target these. And you have to obviously maintain what you've done so because organizations change. So in broad strokes, this is what the life cycle of the business continuity management, oops, sorry, of the business continuity management system looks like uh, throughout uh, a given period. So how long that period lasts is really up to the organization. I, I was going to ask, you know, is there a time frame to go through one cycle? But you just kind of answered that, so, you know, and I'm assuming by, by your answer, yeah. if you're smaller, you might be able to, in a perfect world, get through that cycle faster. But if you're a larger organization, you're going to of have, course. it's going to take longer and there's going to be more things to analyze, more things to document, more education. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly, yeah. that's ex exactly right. Some organizations want to structure it along the, the cycle of, because businesses have cycles, some of them. So they tend to say, okay, I have this long-term production cycle that takes three years. So maybe I want to perform one, light, one, let's say, spin around the wheel every three years because to coincide with my long-term business cycle. Others, as is the case usually with financial institutions, say, no, yearly, in one year, I want to get everything done because the analyses are simple. We got it. We understand what we're doing at one year. It's really a decision up to the organization. Say, what do we know about ourselves? What makes sense for us? And we, and we act accordingly. So, yeah. Yeah, and what's working, what's not working. Exactly. That's yeah. also... The maturity of your program is going to determine how fast you can go through. Sure. Yeah. Well, but also, um, and it just popped into my head, would uh, you know some sort, if you're regulated, a heavily regulated uh, industry, 
or you are certified with something from ISO or whatever yeah. that may say every year thou must do, then I guess that's going to dictate too. Well, right? yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, if you have regulations or requirements of a certain certification that's important to you as an organization, you need to uh, absolutely respect the guidelines that they that they mandate. Um, otherwise, it's really up to you. Of course, it has to make sense. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. So it makes no sense, obviously, in an extreme case, to do it once every 10 years. I mean, yeah. <laughs> There'd be no why are you doing it? Yeah, why are you doing it then if you do it yeah, once every 10 years? Why are you in the first place if it's that long? Exactly. And of course, the first time you do it, uh, it's harder because maybe your organization isn't uh, mature or ready. You need to uh, expend more effort on the onboarding, on the embedding, as we talked about before. Um, and of course, it's different when you're an old hand at it. So if you've been doing yeah. it for 20 years, you know, you just need to take care of uh, staff turnover, people who come in from outside. But as an organization, you do it like second nature, like second nature. So, yeah. Out, out of the six, um, uh, what do you call them, phases, I guess? Yeah phases mm -hmm. of the, the BCMS cycle. Is any one of these components more important than the other? Which, you know, uh, uh, well, I mean, hey, <laughs> no, that's an interesting question. And from let's, if we're talking abstractly, no, they're all very important. Like otherwise they wouldn't be in there. You know, mm -hmm. it's meant to be, this is only what you need. There's no superfluous, uh, information here there's no superfluous uh, uh activities uh, whether you want to expend more effort or more attention more investment on one or the other really depends on each organization's individual uh, knowledge of itself knowledge of its processes of its pre-existing vulnerabilities so it really it really uh it really it really depends. My point of view and the reason why I, in the, my BCI World pre, uh, presentation, I focused on the, the first phase, policy and program management, is because I think it tends to be, in my experience, it tends to be undervalued or sort of taken for granted that, okay, well, these are just documents. I just need to write out a, a series of documents without giving much thought, it seems to be a bit more underappreciated compared to the others. And so that's why I would focus on that because that's the one that usually people get wrong, the organizations get wrong. And when you get it wrong, it's that error is the reason for most of your headaches going forward. So when you're in the middle of your operations of the successive phases and you think, oh, this organization doesn't work so well. Why is it like this? Why is it, why is it so complicated? Oh, these people won't give me the information I need. It's probably because you didn't pay enough attention in the first, as much as you could, of course. Sometimes there's hard limits on what you can do. But if whether you didn't give it enough attention or whether your organization, there's like a hard limit on it somehow, that's where you may need to focus more of your attention because something probably ran, went, went wrong in how you set up your program. So that's really, it's not more important per se than the others, but it's 
one of them that it's one phase that people tend to get wrong more often than the other. And you can use if you've got a policy and you know signed off policy by executives, you can use that as leverage for that's embed. Yeah, that's the main one of the main things. Yeah, that's literally one of the main things that top management is involved in this. Executives, CEO, board, what have you, the brass. And so, if when someone doesn't want to help you or not necessarily because they're evil or anything, but because busy, uh, they don't understand why this is important, they have other priorities. You have a tool, you say, look, I know you're busy, but you know, I've got this letter from the, from the CEO and he says, this is important. So try to give me your attention. And the person will most often say, yeah, sure. It's, it's a tool to bring people on board. And we'll discuss this more, I think, uh, uh, further on what that means in the context of policy and program management. Okay, just just to stick, I have one more question with the um, yep. uh, the BCMS cycle. Sure. Can an organization enter the cycle at any phase? Now, the reason I ask is mm-hmm. because uh, I haven't been through this particular example myself, but yeah, uh, I know a colleague who did, and they started off by testing. They just yeah. they said let's just declare a disaster and see who knows what, where we are, what we have, what we don't have. And they mm-hmm. identified so much. Yeah. They knew exactly where they were when they started, you know, when they yeah. pulled the plug, so to speak. So can an organization yeah. enter any phase? So uh, that's, that's yeah. an interesting question, especially with the example you, you just gave, because the reality is you never start from scratch. Because me- much of this is common sense. Uh, the, the reality of the fact in 99% of organizations who say, well, I don't have anything business continuity related. That's never true because you always have backups, procedures, and all that. It's just piecemeal. It's not organized, right? So in what I would say to respond is, to your example, that's almost like step zero, it's uh, the tool to bring, to show what we need to get, uh, I was going to say something, our stuff together. Mm. You can think of a different I, experience. I know what you were going to say. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So uh, my, th- my, my personal opinion is that once what your colleague was describing is a great way to say, look, these are the results of my impromptu test we need to set up, if the results were negative, of course, uh, we need to set things up in a structured way. And so you start from the beginning. But following the structured process, uh, to me, is critical because, as I said, they all feed into each other in mm-hmm. some way. And if you jump ahead, you'll encounter problems. Then, of course, it may not be a big deal in reality because of every organization is different and maybe organically some things are managed already, but you can't know that for sure. So if you don't follow the steps, you risk uh, encountering these operational difficulties. And uh, so I would really advise, do what you have to, to bring people on board to convince them that this is necessary. But once you start the project and you say, we need to, we need to do this, go through it step by step, 
because it, it, it's really well thought out in that sense as a uh, progress. Great. On that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. Today, we are talking with Jacopo Caparelli on the topic of business continuity management systems. Setting up everything is everything. And we'll be right back. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support you. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Bullock. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Jacopo Caparelli uh, about business continuity management systems. Uh, setting up everything is everything. Jacopo, lots of great information in the first segment. Uh, are there any guiding questions we should be asking ourselves as we go through this and set this up, or even if we're further down the path, are there some questions yeah, you yeah. have in mind? Yeah, so um, here's the thing. We're just like any other activity, we're setting things up in the first phase, right? But we're talking about policy and program management, right? So that's the first phase. We need to set our activities up. We need to plan. We need to make sure we have our resources available and all that. So well, what, like anything, you need to ask yourself, okay, where are my efforts targeted? So what's the scope of my action, right? Am I uh, going to try to implement this system or perform these activities across the whole organization? Do I want to start as a pilot project with a certain business line, certain location, uh, a certain entity within a, you know, sort of like a, a corporate entity, you start with a specific entity within a group. So all these questions you need to ask, okay, what's my scope? Then even more crucially, maybe who's going to 
do this? Who's the team? What roles, responsibilities? Who's in charge? Who's, uh, who's supervising everything? Who's the sponsor? Who's the high level guy who gets everyone in a room and says, look, this needs to be done. Who's the team who actually does get it done. So it goes around the organization performing these activities. So you want to get that narrowed down specifically right at the outset. Mm -hmm. You're in charge, mm -hmm. you need to do this. And this is, these are your KPIs. This is, these are your objectives. These are the results I expect to see. And uh, that's basically it. Uh, I mentioned that objectives you need to be clear. You need to be clear on what you want to do. So if you start from a specific scope, it's not enough to say, I want to analyze uh, the whole uh, production line in Italy. No, you need to be more specific than that. And you say, okay, what do I expect to see in terms of, object of objectives so that I can review the performance of this whole, uh, this whole affair? So you need to have your objectives clear. And then what you mentioned before, Alex, you need to set out your plan for how you're going to sell this. That's the real, that's, that's really what it is. How are you going to convince people to work with you? Especially, this may not be the case in small, smaller organizations, but if we're talking about large organizations, and most of us in one way or another have had experience with these kinds of environments, the behind the scenes politics of saying, you know, I need this kind of effort. I need you to help me with this is really crucial. So you need to set out from the start how you're going to deal with this aspect of your activity. And really what this means is this is the tool that you were talking about before, Alex, that you show when you say, look, executives are behind this. I need to do this. We all have our objectives, but, you know, I'm under the gun here. Let's let's try to work something out. So these four things need to be nailed down. And of course, there's scope for everything that you can think of here. But these four things really need, are the essentials when you're setting things up. Now, you've talked about policy and uh, program. Is there a difference between the two? Yes, yes, of course. This is something this is something that the phase is called the phase is called program policy and program management. So right there off the bat, you have two elements. And people sort of, in my experience, tend to confuse the two. They think policy is the program, the program is the policy. They're the yeah. same thing. Yeah. We don't need them. Actually, they are different and they serve two different functions. So your policy is really your statement of intent, high level, signed by as many big hitters in your organization you can get sign it and say this is why we're doing business continuity because we are business we want our business to be sustainable we have commitments to our clients and our community our customers so this is important high level indication of who's in charge so all those people who signed say you alex jacopo is in charge give him your full support and that's the policy the program is everything else. So the nuts and bolts of how, of the governance of your program, of your system. Okay. So nuts and bolts, not just Jacopo is in charge, but Jacopo is in charge. He has X amount of budget. These are the people who work under him. These are the skills they require. So if they don't have these skills, you either go out and get them 
or you uh, find them somehow some other in some other way the skills they have these are the resources they can leverage these are their uh, authorizations their, their responsibilities they what they can do what they're there to do so literally the governance of the whole affair how often they need to report uh, what do they need to report up the line what do they need to look for so whereas policy is your intent program is your governance so uh, that's the main distinction between the two well, let's talk about the policy a little more. How do you go about writing a good policy? Yeah. Yeah. It's, so, it's one thing to, to just kind of say, here's our intention. Uh, and, and as you described, Jacopo's in, in charge, though I think it should be me in charge. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so how do you go about writing it and what should go in it? And when you've got it drafted and you're ready for somebody to, to sign off, let's say you're at that point. Who really yeah. sign off and what happens with it after that? Cool. So that whole. Yeah. So the reason why, so I, you might've heard me mention this before. I said, you want as many heavy hitters to yeah. sign up to it as much as you can. Uh, this goes back to something you said before, Alex, about that tool. And I keep coming back to it because it's, it's really important. We, I, I kind of took it uh, facetiously. I joked about it, but what that that tool is not just to convince people to work with you so as an operations guy getting people on your same level to work with you but it's also crucial to make sure that when that person that you ask to collaborate with you cooperate with you and give you information that his or her boss doesn't say but wait a minute he's working for me on x y and z why is he doing this so ideally, you in that tool you're showing them, in that paper, in that policy that you're showing him, there's a signature of that person's boss, the boss's boss, right? So you say, look, I've got my commitment from your boss as well. So this is really important to everybody. This is a communal effort. It's not just something people are doing randomly. So you want, uh, you really want, the first essential thing is buy-in from anybody. This has to come from the top. And ideally, the whole executive floor signs off on it. Ideally, that's then I, there's ideal and there's real. But ideal is that everyone supports it. What's in it? Well, the policy is really a more inspirational document and the public document, let's say, compared to the program. It's really short, usually one or two pages, like really it's just a statement of intent and it needs to contain the essentials. So why we are doing this. It needs to set out why. So we operate in so-and-so market. We have competitive pressures. The clients expect things from us, the customers. We are maybe very client facing, very public facing. So our, the continuity of our service is crucial. And we've decided to do this. You list high level, of course, the activities that you expect to see. And then you identify the person who is responsible explicitly. You can't leave it up to the air and say, oh, our team will contact you. You identify a figure and say, Alex Fullick is in charge of these endeavors. He reports to us. He talks to us. So, so 
people know that you have potentially the executive's ear. And he says that he and his team will get in contact with you. For any problems, you can deal with him and he reports to us. So it's really uh, short, it has to be short and sweet, but it also has to be direct and explicit in what it uh, mandates. So you can't waffle. Let's, uh, let's say that you, you shouldn't waffle. This is an operational document, even though it's very high level, and to give you the support you need to get your job done. Now, you mentioned also that organizations change uh, back mm -hmm. in the first segment. Yeah. With regards to the policy, do you review that on a regular basis as part of your ongoing program maintenance, or is it just ongoing and nobody looks at it again until Alex folks? leaves and goes to a different uh, well see company. that's really a judgment call so what the bci says on this point is that so you want to review your program regularly but the why the reason why subsequent cycles are let's say easier compared to the first one is because a lot of things work we hope <laughs> we, <laughs> we hope <laughs> we hope that a lot of the things that we've done the first time around are working so we don't really need to touch them or modify them in any way. So if the policy was well written the first time and it identifies Alex as the guy, then you don't really need to review that. You just check it, you know, so you read it every year and say, is this still actual? Do we need to say anything more? Uh, if not, leave it as is, continue. Mm -hmm. So it's different when you may need to intervene in some way. So you maybe you made that declaration the first time and while all this was ongoing, you realize that Alex isn't getting the cooperation that we expect from him. So maybe you issue another, you issue follow-ups. It doesn't always need to be uh, big declarations. It can also be just an email to all staff. But the important is that that intent, that statement, is reinforced continually because you know people know how you are in large organizations people test things right drag their feet see if you're really serious so if the if the top management issues this proclamation alex you go you work people aren't helping you aren't collaborative but the management doesn't do anything you complain but they don't they don't follow up they don't say hey guys help him then that's dead letter you know it it doesn't work. So that's what, when you talk about reviewing pol the policy, that's what you need to be concerned about. Is Alex recognized uh, as uh, authoritative, as uh, uh, effective? Do people listen to him? Not because Alex, this is independent of whether Alex is good or not. I'm sorry, I'm talking about you in the third person. But that's okay. Okay. this is independent of whether you're doing or not a good job. In this instance, you can only do as good a job as people allow you to do at a certain point. You know, you're a professional, you do your thing, but if people don't answer you quickly, don't put that effort in, uh, there's only so much you can do. And that, the, the, the reason, the way you fix that is by maybe sending an email from the top management, sends an email to all staff, maybe even more targeted saying, listen, there's a problem here. Let's try to fix it. 
that's what the review for the policy itself uh, would most likely be in a real organization. Okay. Yep. You, you kind of touched on some of these as well, but I, I want to kind of bring them all together uh, for, for our listeners. How do you, or what elements make up a successful PCMS? You've kind of touched on some of them. And sure. if someone's out there and they have, they're struggling with their program, you know, are there a couple of elements they can look at to know right away, uh, here's why I'm failing. You know, I don't yeah. have this in place. You know, here's why people aren't listening to me. Like you just said, you know, yeah. with the policy review, you know, are there things that we can kind of consolidate for listeners that will help them identify sure. why they might be struggling in their programs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the reason why I wanted to focus on this, uh, sorry, my phone. Uh, the reason why I wanted to focus on this uh, uh, on this phase is because all those things you're describing, this is really where you address them and or cause them in a way. Like if something like that is happening, you need to look at how you performed in this phase. It's could have done something better, something clearer, and I can keep, keep going. So we mentioned the scope. So maybe just maybe for the level of your of your organization's maturity in these disciplines, in these matters, you just try to do too much at once. Mm. Or maybe you didn't give it the importance it deserved and you tried to do too little at once. So that's also a matter of perception. If you announce this big program, and then the first year only 1% of the organization actually sees it going on, then people start to wonder, well, what's up? Like, it's really that big of a deal, you know? So your scope needs to be really appropriate. So maybe you want to look at that. And uh, scope then, Yeah, right. What they call scope creep. Yeah, you exactly. You exactly. parameters, and then you keep adding people, and then that first group that you talk to all of a sudden sees no movement because you're still going on doing it. Absolutely, other absolutely. That all goes into, you need to, stick to a scope like you decide yeah. it, then you stick to it yeah don't don't try to do too much don't get greedy as we say no you yeah. set yourself an objective that's it just if you do it perfectly and you find out oh i could have done more that's great next year you do it not not at the same time yeah um then you want to look at your governance mechanisms so did you really get nominated as business continuity manager did they give you the authority that you needed uh, uh, within the organization? So if you have to ask uh, directors or executives or managers for their time for, listen, I need you to uh, make these people available to me because I need to ask them a couple of questions. Do these people recognize you as a uh, valuable, like, uh, a credible, a credible credible person, a credible source. So who is it? They don't have the the the, want, the thing you don't want them to say is, who are you? Like, yeah. Why are you asking me these things? Okay. You can look at that. This goes into also defining well your roles and responsibilities. But I really think the main thing comes from, and this is something that a lot of people, even good organizations don't have and should have, is a, what's called a steering committee. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's often really the brunt of it. 
that's something that many people miss and causes a lot of problems because we mentioned getting all the top executives before, but they don't go into day to day. You know, they have other stuff to deal with. If you need, for instance, in the BIA, for those who don't know, you need to gather all sorts of information that usually uh, are in possession of a different department. So IT has some, uh, uh, facility management has some, et cetera. If he, the steering committee is really an operational or a management team that involves stakeholders from all these departments that you bring in from the beginning, you say, okay, the executives are one thing, but then we want our project team, our task force. We call it a steering committee, but it's a task force, if you <laughs> want to think of it like that. You get all the people you may need information from. So in theory, it's not you who, you who, Jacobo, he doesn't work in IT. He doesn't know where the bodies are buried, so to speak. He doesn't know <laughs> who to talk to, right? You have some person from IT on the steering committee and you say, listen, we need this information. You know them better. You talk to them. You go in and say, hey, we need X, Y, and Z. And you know who to talk to. You know uh, what the problems are, what the obstacles are. You know it better than me. So you go in and, and deal with that. So having this steering committee composed of the figures you think you may need something from right from the beginning, from the start, and you set this out maybe in your policy document, say, we're going to form a steering committee, X, Y, Z will be on it, or you set it out in your governance document, that's really a judgment call, but you set this up, and then I guarantee you many of the more operational day-to-day -day problems will go that much smoother because you have the people you need at the same table already. And some of those people, that they may not have to uh, do the work, but they can take that, <clears throat> those same things that you mentioned, you know, yeah. to, back to their managers or team leaders and say, um, Jacopo Caporelli, this is what he's going to be coming uh, to ask you about. So I want you to give, you know, your attention when he comes knocking on your door, you know, sure. and, that could only just be the part they played, but they open that door for you. So people exactly. don't turn around and ask that question, like you said earlier, who are you? Yeah, it, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Now we have less than three minutes left. Uh, do you have any final uh, comments or any, any ideas you'd like to convey? No, no, this, uh, I think this was a, this was an excellent chat. What I would say to people who are listening and who may be struggling is really look and how your program and your system is set up. Look at what your managers told you, gave you to work with, because often we take upon ourselves what are actually systemic failures. So even now, I with smart work, with the remote working and you know, mental health is a big is a big thing. But to anyone who is not maybe at the top level but is working on these uh, things as I am, um, really make sure that you're not blaming yourself for systemic problems because these are dealt with at the top level, but if they're not dealt with well, there's repercussions to your daily work and you need to do the best that you can for what you can do. You, if you're not the CEO, you're not responsible for the CEO's problems. You do the best you can. And when you identify these problems, you kick them upstairs. You say, listen, this is how it's going. 
if this is a true effort, if this is a true company effort, we need to fix these things. So it's a, it's a sort of managing upwards concept. Uh, make sure that you are doing your best. Systemic failures are not personal failures. And make sure that if you believe in what your organization is doing and you, you really think this system is an added value and this adds to all levels, make sure that the people upstairs understand the importance of setting things up correctly. Yeah, good point. Yeah, it's nice to delegate upward sometimes. Yes. <laughs> Not I mean, my they problem, have to your job too sometimes. <laughs> yeah, go away. Leave me alone. This is your problem. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> sometimes. Not always, but yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> yep. Jacopo, thank you very much again for uh, bringing your expertise and sharing your time with us today. I really appreciate it. Sure, sure. Always happy to be here. Uh, yeah, who knows? There might be a third appearance at some point, right? You never course, know. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks again. I really appreciate it. And thank uh, you too, all Alex. Best, all the best to you and yours. I know we're recording for before the holidays and as well after the holidays, but still, I want to uh, make sure everyone knows you. Know, I should send my best to you and your colleagues, your friends, and your family. Absolutely. Same here. Same here. Best regards and best wishes from Italy. Thank you very much. And to everybody listening and watching, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.